Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. Um, for those of you that have been here the last, well, since the beginning of January, we have uh, undertaken uh, to do a study of the life of Christ uh, this year in 2024. In the last several weeks, we've been talking more about more of a high level, Jesus's ministry, who he was, what he did, what he taught on, those types of things. Uh, we discussed a little bit about, you know, the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And today, we will officially begin a study of looking at the public ministry of Jesus Christ recorded in Scripture. Um, once again, we've, we've discussed this a little bit before. There's a little bit of a debate um, on exactly how many days were recorded in Jesus' public earthly ministry in the Gospels. Uh, it could be as few as 52, as, as many as 58, depending upon how you kind of divide the days. And, and there are some that's a little bit fuzzy exactly if it's another day or, or the same day. But the point is, this week we're going to go through and look at each of those days in detail uh, in Jesus' earthly ministry. And today we'll begin with day one of the public ministry of Jesus Christ, which began whenever he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. So this morning, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter number three. Uh, so yeah, we were, I apologize if, if, if you thought we were going to do a Christmas uh, lesson this morning, <laughs> his first day, we're looking at his public ministry, right? And that began, uh, certainly he lived for 30 years prior to this, but we're going to these, we're going to look at these days that he actually served in his public ministry uh, here um, on earth. So we'll begin here in chapter number three, and I'm going to read the entire chapter. We're also going to be reading some parallel passages and other, uh, and some of the other gospels. I think it's very helpful for us. I'll do this as much as we can, depending upon how much time we have available in class and how much ground we have to cover. But my hope is that each day that we look in Jesus' life, we'll, we'll look at every passage in every one of the Gospels. And sometimes only one Gospel records it, sometimes all four. In this, in this particular instance, we have three of the four Gospels, or actually have a, a, um, a description of this event of Jesus being baptized. So let's look here in uh, Matthew chapter 3, and the Bible says in verse number 1, in those days... Came, came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Elias, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his, had his raiment of camel's hair, leather, a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when they saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham." And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every good tree which bringeth, forth, uh, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the gardener. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." Then cometh, then cometh Jesus. So this is the first day of Jesus' public ministry here recorded in the Gospels. It said, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answered uh, and said, said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, 
For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus went and he was baptized. Uh, I'm sorry. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see it recorded here. Let's also turn over to the book of Mark. And we'll just read a few, a few, a few verses there. Mark chapter 1 and verses 9 through 11. Mark chapter 1, verses 9. Am I ringing a little bit? Are y'all okay? Okay, good. All right, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. And then finally over in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 and verses 29 through 34. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3, verses 29 through 34. I'm sorry, I, we need to go back up to verse number 21. Apologies. Uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, uh, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, and thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age. So I think it's always helpful to go and read these parallel scriptures, because I think you can see a different perspective. There's different things that can be learned. Um, specifically here we find in, in Luke, we find the age of Jesus. So Jesus' age is 30 years old whenever he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized. And, and um, I, I guess maybe the question I had when I began to look at this is what was the, uh, what was the uh, significance of Jesus waiting till this moment to begin his public ministry? Uh, certainly for 30 years, Jesus wo wo was walking around this earth and he saw people that needed to be healed. He saw people that were blind. He saw people that were going through difficult times. But it was not until this moment that we see that Jesus begins to uh, perform miracles and begin a public ministry from this point forward. Uh, even to, to Jesus himself, this moment had major significance. Look at, let's look at Matthew chapter 21. In this passage of scripture, you're finding that the Pharisees are coming to Jesus to find ways to act, um, accuse him and undermine him. And they come to him and they ask him about his authority. Where do you get this authority to preach to us these things? This is in Matthew chapter 21 and verses 23 through 27. Uh, so these Pharisees come to him and they say, where are you getting this authority to tell us what to do? Um, uh, let's see here. Verse 23, Matthew chapter number 21. Uh, and when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority dost thou these things? And who gave us, uh, thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I am likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with them, themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we, say, if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold, him, uh, all hold John as a prophet. So here again, this is, this, is, uh, this is, I think, an important thing for us to take notice of. Whenever they come to Jesus and they say, tell us how you have this authority, Jesus did not say, well, look at the people that I've healed. He did not say, did you guys not see me walking on the water? 
That was not his justification for his authority. Where did he point to when it came to his authority? He pointed back to the baptism of John. That baptism that John was uh, providing for people. And Jesus himself submitted that baptism. And whenever Jesus said, if you want to know where my authority comes from, look back to that moment. I think that's an interesting thing for us to take note of as we look at this uh, study. Not only do we see that it was important to Jesus because it was It was meaningful for for him personally. I mean, that's the moment he pointed back to when it came to his authority. But also, if you look in the book of Acts, when you talk about the early church, and they begin to speak about Jesus, look in Acts chapter number 1, and we'll look at verses 21 through 22. It says, Wherefore of these men which have um, um, accompanied with us all the time that the the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Now, the context here is they're trying to select another disciple because Judas had, had gone out and killed himself. So, so they're trying to select another, another disciple, and they're talking about the, and this is important, this, is, this, is, this matters today, because you'll meet people that will say they're an apostle. You'll people, I'm an apostle at some, you know, whatever church or whatever. And the Bible tells us the qualifications to be an apostle right here. First of all, you had to be with Jesus during his earthly ministry. So if someone comes to you and says they're an apostle today, they, they don't meet the qualifications. But this is what they're talking about here. Uh, Wherefore of these men which we have accompanied with, uh, with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John under that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So whenever you spoke to the early church and they talked about when did, when did Jesus' ministry begin, it was that moment that he was baptized by John. But not only there, let's look over in the book of uh, chapter 10, Acts chapter number 10 and verses 37 through 38. Uh, this, uh, this, uh, this is Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse number 37. Uh, that word I say, ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God ordained Jesus, or anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So even in this early church, this was a common moment that was very uh, very critical to them when it came to Christianity and Jesus and, and Jesus's ministry and what Jesus did for us. Uh, the, uh, the point I'm trying to make is we can rush through this story very quickly and not understand the importance of what's going on in this moment. And, and what we're going to find as we study through this today, that even in this moment, as Jesus was being baptized at that time, he was doing all these things in preparation for our salvation to come. So let's begin our study this morning, um, and we'll go back to Matthew uh, Matthew chapter number three, and what, this is what we'll look at here today, because uh, this is where we have the most, the, the longest text that we have recorded of this event. And we're going to start with looking at John the Baptist, who he was and what his purpose was, because it does have an impact on what happens next. So who was John the Baptist? Well, the Bible tells us there was this man that came, and this was the first prophet of God that had spoken in 400 years. For 400 years, uh, the Bible says here in verse number one, in, tho- in those days, in Matthew 3, verse, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So for 400 years, God had not spoken through the prophet, either through a prophet that, you know, the prophets like Elisha and Elijah that were spoken prophets or the written prophets that we have, Jeremiah, Isaiah. There had been no prophet, a spoken or a written prophet for 400 years. And, and, and what we find is that John comes after 400 years and he begins to preach a message to these people that they should repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I just can't help, but I cannot, I cannot help myself but stop for a moment this, at this time at this scripture and maybe just ask, ask us maybe a soul-searching question this morning. 
How long has it been since you've heard from God? These people had been without a word from God for 400 years. And maybe your experience in the Christian life is maybe similar to mine, where I've gone through periods of my life where God has not spoken to me. I'm talking about I read his word, I prayed, I came to church, but God was not speaking to me. It wasn't because God wasn't able or he didn't, it's because I was not listening. When's the last time you have heard from God? And I'm not talking about in this charismatic way of I got a word of revelation from God, none of that nonsense. I'm talking about God's dealt with you. That's a terrible place to be as a Christian. I've been there. I bought the t-shirt. God wants to speak to us. And, and we should have our ears opened and ready to listen to what he has to say. My friend, if it's been a while since God's spoken to you, don't turn away from him. Turn to him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John comes, he comes, he comes after 400 years of silence, but he also comes, the Bible says, to the wilderness. He didn't come to Jerusalem. He didn't come to the temple. He didn't come to Pil uh, you know, Pilate's you know, uh, fortress. He didn't go to the people that were in power that day. John the Baptist went out into the wilderness. And the Bible says that people came out from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region. They came to him out of the wilderness into the Jordan River to be baptized of John the Baptist. He came in the wilderness, and this was a response to the corruption that was in Jerusalem. He would not come to Jerusalem to preach this because they were corrupt. They would, have, they would have captured him and imprisoned him and probably killed him if he preached what he was saying in the wilderness in the middle of Jerusalem. He could not preach there because of the corruption there. But it was also a picture of the state of the nation of Israel. They were spiritually in the wilderness. Just like they had been several hundred years before, thousands of years before, when they were in the wilderness in between Egypt and the promised land, they found themselves once again in the wilderness where John came to speak to them. But why did he come? The Bible tells us why he came here. It says in verse number two, and saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came preaching repentance, not regret, not remorse, repentance. And there's a difference. I can have regret for behaviors and words and thoughts that I've had in my past, but it doesn't change anything. I just feel bad for myself. I can have remorse about what I've done, about how I've hurt people, but I can continue in remorse and just feel sorry for myself. Regret is something different. Regret is, yes, I've made mistakes, I've, I've made choices, I've said things, I've had behaviors, I've had actions, and I do have regret, and I do have remorse, but I have something more than that. I have repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is a change in mind that results in a change of action. A change of mind that results in a change of direction. It's not enough just to feel bad for your sin. It's not enough just to have regret or remorse. John came preaching repentance. The Pharisees will come to him. We'll read this in a moment. The Pharisees come to him, and John forbids them baptism because they did not have repentance. They had regret. They had remorse. But they didn't repent. I think one of the best examples you can find in the Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter number 11. I think it gives us a really clear description of what repentance is. Hebrews chapter number 11 now, if you know the story of Moses, Moses was actually born in the 
and well, he was raised, he wasn't born, but he was raised in the, in the home of Pharaoh's daughter. And Josephus, once again, this is not in the Bible, this is what a, a, a very prominent Jewish historian says. Josephus says that Moses was actually next in line to become Pharaoh. That's what, that's what Josephus says. So I guess in those days it wasn't done by, strictly by just by birth or by lineage, but you could, you could choose a different Pharaoh. And Moses was actually in preparation to become the next Pharaoh of Egypt. And what does the Bible tell us about Moses' decision? It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. By faith, Moses, when he was come, of, come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. I think Moses here gives us a good example of what repentance is. Moses could have stayed on the same trajectory, the same path, and he possibly, I don't know this for sure, possibly could have become Pharaoh himself, God of all of the, of the world in Egypt in that day. But the Bible says here at the beginning of verse number 25, choosing rather to suffer affliction. See, uh, Moses didn't just look around and say how terrible it was that his brothers that were in we're in, a, we're in slavery, we're getting beaten, and oh, I feel bad about this, and I have a lot of remorse, I have a lot of regret. No, Moses said, I'm going to change my direction. I'm headed towards a life of privilege and riches and all the throne of Egypt, but I'm going to choose to go a different way. That's repentance. And that's what John preached. John was preaching a message of repentance. And as we said here in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generations of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who, why are you coming out here? Who told you you were in trouble? Is what he was saying to them. And he says to them, Bring forth therefore fruit, fruits, meat for repentance. It's not enough just to feel bad for your sin. There has to be a repentant heart. Listen, there's lots of people that have come down to an altar and they've cried their, ear, their eyes out. And they were remorseful and they had regret but they did not have repentance and they have a false conversion. Are you saying that you never commit sin again after you're saved? No, not at all. But I'm saying overall in your life, you're heading in a new direction than you were before. I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. That's repentance. And that's what John preached. He was preaching repentance and he refused those people that would not repent. He didn't baptize the Pharisees in the set. He said, no, you need to go back and you need to, you need to truly repent and then come back and be baptized. So he was preaching repentance, but he didn't just preach. He was, his name was John the Baptist because something else he did besides preach was he baptized people. He was baptizing. Now what is baptism? That, that, that word, if you look it up in the Greek, we actually don't have an English word. Uh, what they did is whenever, they, whenever they're translating the Bible from one language to the next, this word is, there's not a good English word for this. And so they do a transliteration. The Greek word is called baptismo. And so they just said, well, let's just call it baptism, right? This is called the same word. And, and what does that word mean? It means to be plunged underwater. That's what the word baptismo means. It means to be plunged or dunked underwater. And what was this? In the Old Testament, uh, baptism was a cleansing rite. It was a cleansing rite. And specifically, and primarily, it was for Gentiles that wanted to repent and follow the God of Israel, and they would be baptized into 
this faith of following the God of the Hebrews. And so it was commonly practiced, uh, 2 Kings, Naaman. You guys know the story of Naaman, the Syrian uh, leader that had leprosy, and he goes to, uh, he, the, he has the handmaid that says, you know, would God Naaman was back in Israel because then my, my God could heal him. And so Naaman goes back to Israel and he finds the prophet Elisha. And, and if you remember the story, Elisha didn't even come out to meet him. You guys remember the story? Elisha just said, go dunk yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman was mad. He's like, I got cleaner water back home in Syria. Why do I want to get d- dirty in your, in your dirty Jordan River? And then one of his servants comes to him and says, listen, if he would have told you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done that? Yeah, I would have done it. Well, why don't you do something easy? Okay. And so he goes and he dunks, he baptizes himself seven times. It was a cleansing rite. It was a cleansing ritual they would use for Gentiles because Naaman was a Gentile. He was a Syrian. And so whenever John the Baptist was baptizing Jews, this was a, a great offense to Jews because they were like... What? We, we don't need to be baptized into the Jewish faith. We're already the children of Abraham. That's why John corrected them when he said, don't think that you're safe just because you're a child of Abraham. There needs to be uh, fruits, meat for repentance. And he talked about that there was going to be a tree that doesn't produce fruit would be hewn down. Is that what he said? He said he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff and burn it. Whenever John said that I come to you baptizing in water, but he's going to come baptizing you in fire, he wasn't talking about, some people think that's talking about the day of Pentecost or something. He's talking about judgment. Here's the truth. We're all getting baptized one way or the other. You either get baptized in water through Jesus Christ or you get baptized in hellfire. But we're all getting baptized. John was baptizing people that were Jews because they were not faithful to their God. And they were cleansing. This was a cleansing rite, a cleansing ritual to say I'm repenting. This is an outward expression of an inward decision that I made. And this was, uh, this was also a picture of whenever they came out of Egypt through the Red Sea, passing through the water. This was once again a picture of this, this repentance that John was preaching to them. But he didn't just preach repentance. He didn't just baptize people. But John had a special, a special mission, a special purpose from God to prepare the way, to be that voice in the wilderness, to be, prepare the way for the Lord that was to come. Now, there was, a, there was actually a position back in those days. It was, a, it was an envoy, a representative of the king. And, and if the king was going to be traveling, this envoy would go ahead of him to make sure the road was good. There weren't any bridges that were out. There weren't any roads that needed to be repaired. And if there were, his job was to make sure it was ready for the king that was coming behind him. That's what John the Baptist's mission was. He was preparing the way. He was getting together these small band of, dis- of disciples to prepare them to begin to follow Jesus as their teacher and their master. But not just to prepare the way for the Lord, but he was also there and he was sent to present the Son of God to the world. So he was preparing the way for the Lord to come, but he was also there to point the finger towards the true king that was coming. Let's look in John chapter 1, and we find that we can see this recorded here in Scripture for us, John chapter 1. Now, this is why it's, you have to be careful. I'm not, look, I'm not against these things. Uh, I, think they, I think a lot of times they can, be, they can do more harm than good, but we'll watch these, these movies or TV shows that will have a reenactment of the life of Christ and if you're not careful, they can really make you misunderstand what the Bible says. Now, how many times have you seen this? I've seen it multiple in multiple different versions, this scene where, you know, there's these actors and they're, they're playing out the scene of the baptism of Jesus. And the way, it'll, the way it'll begin is Jesus will be kind of coming up over a hill. And then John the Baptist points and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus comes down and he gets baptized and everybody sees the Holy Spirit come down and everybody hears the voice of God. 
That's what we all see in the movies and the TV shows. But that's not what the Bible said happened. Let's look what the Bible says here in John chapter 1, verse number 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not. But that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore am I come baptizing. The reason I'm here is I want to make manifest who this is. That's why I came. And John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not. But, that, but, uh, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Now, in the Old Testament, you'd hear people called man of God. You'd hear people called servant of God. You'd hear people called God's best friend or a man after God's own heart. But you never heard anybody called the Son of God until John said it. And John said it after Jesus was baptized, not before. Whenever, whenever John baptized Jesus, he did not know who he was truly. He, he, he knew he was unique. He knew he was special. He knew that he was a very righteous, holy man. But until this moment, in bat- that's, is that what it said? Until he was baptized and John saw the Spirit coming down and heard the voice, he did not really know who, who Jesus was until that moment. I think also, I think it's safe to say that the whole crowd didn't see the Spirit and didn't hear the voice. Only Jesus and John did. I think it's safe to say that based upon the reading of the Scripture. Because who bear witness? Was it all the witnesses there that day at the Jordan River? No, it was John. John's the one that bear witness. He's the one that saw it. And he's the one that bear witness of it. So he came to preach. He came to baptize. He came to prepare the way. And he came to point towards the Savior. And so that's the story that we see there of John the Baptist. Now let's talk about Jesus here in this moment back in Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus actually, they perform this baptism. Of Jesus. Now let's talk about this for a second. So why did, Jesus, why did John come? He came to baptize these people uh, with the baptism of repentance. And what does repentance mean? It means I, I had the wrong idea, I had the wrong thought, I have changed my thought, I've changed my idea, and it's resulted in a change of action. So my question is, why does Jesus need to be baptized then? Did Jesus need to repent? No. And a matter of fact, this is actually a really good, this is a bit of a, a, a parenthetical thought here, but this is actually a really good proof that the Bible was not made up. Because if you were going to write a story about a man that came to redeem the world, you probably wouldn't have him starting out having a baptism called the baptism of repentance. You wouldn't make that up. That would not, that you'd, be, you'd stay as far away from that as you could. You'd, say, you'd, have, you'd have Jesus being the one being the baptizer, not John the Baptist. So you can see even here that the truth of God's word is revealed, that Jesus comes and he says, I need to be baptized. Now, did he need to, did he need to repent? Did he have sin in his life he needed to get right before he began his earthly ministry? Well, let's see what, there's actually a lot of speculation uh, as I was studying, and I'm talking about good, faithful strong, Bible-believing men that I read, uh, Warren Wearsby, and, 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 and I'm not, you know, and, and he's probably one of the ones I read more than anybody else, but Warren, reading Warren Wearsby, he even said that Jesus was baptized in part because it validated John the Baptist's ministry, and then he also said it also identified Jesus with Gentiles, 
because Gentiles were going to have to be saved. So Jesus kind of, kind of submitted as a Gentile so he could include us. And that's all great, and that may be true, maybe not. But let's see what Jesus said while he needed to be baptized. So Jesus comes to John, verse 14 here in Matthew 3. But John forbade him, saying, I need to be baptized of thee. So John here, he, knew, he didn't know who he was, but he knew that, Jesus, you're more righteous than I am. You're living a better life than I am. I'm the black sheep of the family. When my mom Elizabeth gets together with your mom Mary and they talk about their boys, and Mary says, hey, what's John up to? Uh, he's out in the wilderness eating locusts, acting like a crazy man. How's Jesus doing? Oh, he's perfect. I mean, can you imagine the, the conversations they had? So John said, I, don't, I can't, I need, I need you to baptize. You're, you're more holy than I am. But what did Jesus, what was his reasoning? And Jesus answering him said unto him, suffer it to be so now. Stop arguing with me. That's what, that's what it means. Suffer it. Stop, stop, stop fighting against me. For thus it becometh to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him. And then the Bible says that he was baptized. So what was Jesus' motivation? Jesus said, I need to be baptized because it's the right thing to do. That's what righteousness means. Right, is right doing. That's what that word means. If someone was to live righteously, it means they're doing the right things at the right time in the right way. And Jesus came to John and said, I need to be baptized simply because it's the right thing to do. And can I tell you this morning, baptism is right. Baptism is right. If you're born again, you are commanded to be baptized. Peter on the day of Pentecost said, repent and be baptized. Whenever Jesus gave the great commission, he said, preach the gospel and baptize them and train them. If you're saved, you need to be baptized. And if this morning, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, and you have not submitted to scriptural baptism, you are disobedient to God. You need to be baptized. It's the right thing to do. Baptism is important. And it's one of the few things that you can do as a Christian that you don't have to spend a whole lot of time praying about. Almost every area of my life, I got to pray about it, and sometimes I don't pray about it, and I make a bad decision, and I got to pray for forgiveness and try and make it right. And sometimes a Christian life, you're just like, God, would you just make it easy for me? God, why do you send me your hardest battles? And God says, just get baptized. <laughs> it's one of the few things you can do that you know will please the Father if you get baptized. And we need to be, if you're a child of God, you need to be baptized. It's important. There's a couple of things to know about baptism that I think would be important for us to speak about right here. Because, because not all... <laughs> Not all baptisms are created equal. <laughs> Some people call things baptisms, but are not really baptisms. What's the scriptural baptism look like? First of all, scriptural baptism is an ordinance of the church. And in order for it to be spiritual, correct baptism, it must be done under the authority of the church. So I don't know about how many of you guys were raised in church, but every time we would go on vacation and we get to go to a, a hotel or a motel that had a pool, we'd go in the shower and we'd practice baptizing each other me and my brothers and sisters, because we raised in church and we kind of saw it all the time. But you can go to a pool and you can dunk people underwater all day, but that's not scriptural baptism because it's not done under the authority of the church. That's just some people getting wet. And so if you've, if you've seen some kind of person come along that's not associated with any kind of church, not sent out of, of any church, not under the authority of any kind of church, and he's baptizing people, that's not scriptural baptism. Just as much as you can't take the Lord's Supper by yourself. 
The Lord's Supper must be done under the authority of the church. These are ordinance of the church. And so if your baptism is not done under the authority of the local New Testament Baptist church, it is not scriptural baptism and you need to be baptized again. And there are many, many men and women that that suffered gruesome deaths back in the dark ages because they stood up against the Catholic church and said, your baptism is not according to the Bible and you must be baptized again. And that's where they call people rebaptizers and Anabaptists, and eventually it became the word Baptist. That's where our church came from. By taking a stand and saying, that baptism you got at the Catholic church is not scriptural baptism. Baptism is not just an ordinance of the church, it's also by immersion. That's what the word literally means, to be dunked underwater, to be immersed. It's a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whenever Jesus got buried, they didn't just sprinkle some dirt on his face. Baptism is under the water. Baptism is not pouring water on somebody's head or sprinkling water on somebody. That is not scriptural baptism. And if that was your baptism, you need to get baptized again. That was not scriptural baptism. Baptism is exclusive, exclusively available for those that are saved. It's not for unsaved people. Let's look over at the book of Acts, chapter number 8. Acts chapter number 8. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter number 8. Acts chapter 8, verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose, and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for them to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself unto his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand that thou, that, uh, understand thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shear. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, or of himself or some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same time scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hath hindered me to be baptized? So what can stop me from getting baptized right now, Philip? And what was Philip's response? Then Philip... uh, and Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he, sa- and, and, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what was the one thing that would hinder the Ethiopian eunuch from being baptized? If he didn't believe. The one, the one re- requirement is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you put your faith in him? Have you been born again? If you've done that, you can be baptized. If you got baptized and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you didn't get really baptized, you got wet. And you need to be saved and baptized. Baptism is an outward expression, an outward testimony of an inward change inside of our heart. That's what baptism, it does not save you. It does not save you. How can you say that? It's so important. Jesus himself got baptized. How could you say, and, and Peter himself said, you know, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. How can you say you don't need to be saved, or baptized to be saved? Let's turn over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. 
verses 5 through 7, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done. What did Jesus call the act of baptism? Why did he tell John they had to do it? To fulfill all, help me, righteousness. Jesus said, John, listen, stop, stop arguing with me. We need to do this because it's the right thing to do. It fulfills all righteousness. Now, what does Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 say? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. What, what, what Paul is saying here to Titus is, I don't care how many right things you do, it will not save you. And baptism is a work of righteousness. It's a right thing to do, but it will not save you. It's not enough. Just doing good things is not enough to be saved. And baptism is a good thing, and it should be done, but it will not save you. So what did Jesus mean when he said this? What was he talking about when he said, John, we need to do this because it's going to fulfill all righteousness. What was he talking about? He was talking about our salvation. He was talking about something that's called the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's just a real fancy way of saying this. Whenever Jesus died upon the cross, he died in my place. He died in my place. And whenever I stand before God, if I've accepted what he's done, if I've accepted his sacrifice, he took my place on the cross, I get to take his place before God. That's what the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ means. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. I think it's important for us to look at this. Romans, uh, if you would, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. There are many scriptures that, that talk about this righteousness that we have available to us through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3. In verses 20, we'll begin in verse number 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. The only thing the law can do is prove that you're a sinner. It cannot save. We've talked about that in this class many, many times before. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set a fourth to be a propitiation, that word is a replacement, to go in our place through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So Jesus is saying, I need to do this because it's the right thing to do and, it's, and I need to live a righteous life because I need to be able to stand before God Un, uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a spotless sacrifice for them, but also my righteousness is going to go on their account. Uh, whenever, whenever God looks at your record in heaven, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this before. It's like, you know, if you ever got bad grades in school and you had some F's and some D's and some C's, the, the, the way this works is Jesus comes in and he erases all of your F's, but he doesn't leave it blank. Because Okay, okay let's, let's, let's talk through it. Jesus dies for our sins and our sins are taken away. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But being sinless is not enough to get you to heaven. 
What does the Bible say? We have all come short of the glory of God. If you want to go to heaven, you can't just be sinless. You have to have the glory of God. So it's not enough just to be neutral. It's not enough to say I'm just sinless. You have to have righteous deeds on your account. You have to have have a, a righteous life that can meet the glory of God. And so Jesus had to, yes, he had to die to take away our sins, but he also had to live a righteous life to give us a righteous record to put on our account. His righteousness was placed on our account. I got his good grades, and he took away all my bad grades. We are no longer, when God looked, we are no longer neutral in God's sight. We are just as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. That's what the Bible is teaching us here. Therefore, verse number 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of all the righteous works, without the deeds of the law. Uh, Let's look at a couple other verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians, turn over very quickly. We're almost out of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20, uh, 21, for he hath made him, for he, that, that's God, for he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Be careful. It didn't say he became a sinner. He became sin. There, you'll hear people say, Jesus became a rapist on the cross. Jesus became a murderer on the cross. No, no, no. He never became a sinner. He was always pure and holy but he became sin for us. He took the, paid the penalty of our sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made in the righteousness of God in him. Jesus' righteousness got put on my account. Let's look at Philippians. Philippians chapter number three, really quickly. Philippians chapter three, verses seven through nine. Uh, but what things were gained to me, those I counted for, for uh, loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is by faith in God. My righteousness in heaven is not mine. It's Jesus Christ in my place. And then finally, Romans chapter 5. You might have heard this scripture before. We might have sang it a time or two here at church. But what's this portion of scripture teaching that we sing all the time, but we really know what it's saying to us? Romans chapter 5, therefore, verse number 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith unto this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous would, would one man die. Yea, peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from the wrath to come. Now don't miss this. Verse number 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The life that he led saves us because we get all of his righteousness. So what if you're saved here this morning, you've never been baptized? In your status before God, you've been baptized because Jesus got baptized. Now you're in disobedience to God and that's going to cause problems for you in your Christian life and you're probably not going to grow or mature or learn much. But in your standing before God, 
you have the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, including baptism. It's on your account. We are saved by his life, not just his death. We're saved by those 30 years that he lived. And we are, we are out of time. Let me just quickly say, we see a picture here of the Holy Spirit. Now, be careful. This, the Bible does not say he descended as a dove. It said he descended like a dove. And those are completely different. Why a dove? Well, a dove is a picture. We don't have time to look at all this, but a dove is a picture or an illustration of peace and rest. Think about Noah's Ark. He sent out the raven, and he sent out the dove, and the dove came back with an olive branch, a peace offering. A dove is a picture of love. Dove are unique birds. They, they're monogamous. They only have one mate for life. And when that mate dies, they don't, they don't marry again. It's a picture of devotion and love. It's a purity of perfection. Do you know the raven didn't come back to Noah? Because the raven will eat unclean meat. A dove will not. A dove is a picture of purity. A dove is a picture of gentleness and humility. And we see the Holy Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit represented. We also see the Father represented here in Matthew chapter 3, where you hear this voice from heaven that says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What was Jesus doing for 30 years prior to this moment? We don't know. It's not recorded. But we know that it pleased his Father. If, if you were to ask me, uh, I think I have enough self-awareness to say this. If you were to ask me my parenting style, I would say it's intense. That's probably how I would describe it. It's intense. I'm not one of those dads that says, wait till we get home. I'm not, I'm not that kind of dad. I'm a dad like we're doing it right now. If you're going to act foolish in front of people, I'm going to correct you in front of people. Now, that could be right or wrong. We'll find out. I don't know. We'll pray for me. So I may be intense when it comes to correction, but fathers, we have an important role. We are the placeholder of God in our children's eyes until they become of age. The reason everybody has daddy issues is because we have a lot of bad dads that weren't a good representative of their heavenly father. <clears throat> but what is, what, it's important for us, and I'm not, I'm, look, don't come to me for parenting advice. I'm not sure how this is going. Sometimes I feel like we do what we're doing, sometimes I don't know. It, every day it changes. But this is, what I sh this is what I attain, or this is what I strive to do. The same level of intensity that I give to them when it comes to correction or instruction, they need the same intensity when it comes to love and encouragement. Our children need to know their father loves them. They need to hear that all the time. Our children need to know that their father is pleased with them. They need to hear that all the time. Yes, they need to be corrected. <laughs> Uh, yes, they need to be instructed, but they also need to be loved and cared for, and, they need to, and we need to express that. You know, every, every Father's Day and Mother's Day, we're always like, if your mom's still around, if your dad's still around, you better call them and tell them you love them. You don't know how good you got it, and that's all true, but don't forget about your kids either. We take them for granted. They need to be told that they're loved and that, we, that we're pleased with what they've done in their life. That's a good example that we see from our Heavenly Father. So, Next week, we'll get together and look at day two, and that will be the temptation of Jesus Christ next week. So come back for that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was saying to those Pharisees that day. Thank you, brother. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the time you've given us. Lord, pray that you would, uh, Lord, help us, um, Lord, to, to really understand what Christ did for us and the righteousness that he provided for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be with the service to come. We do lift up our pastor this morning. Lord, fill him with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us to have ears that are ready and eager to hear your word. We do pray for a spirit of unity this morning, a spirit of peace and joy as we join together and worship you in Christ. And we pray, amen.